You're now tuning into the Barely Hibernating Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network, featuring Bear Report's own Usaid Kosho and fan-sided Sam Stevenson and AJ Desai. Here are your hosts. The Matt Nagy meltdown, whatever you want to call it, everyone's blaming the defense for this loss to the Lions, but I'll tell you guys in a bit why it's on Mitch Trubisky. Later on, we got Geneva's own Chris Emma joining the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome into the Barely Hibernating Podcast, brought to you by the Blue White Hustle Podcast Network. As always, I'm going to be your host, Usaid Koshal. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Usaid Koshal. I got AJ Desai and Sam Stevenson in the house. They're the ones who do all the work, guys, and make this thing possible i just show up and talk bears all right you can follow aj on twitter at aj decide four and sam stevenson on twitter at sj steve nine i know we mentioned we had chris emma on but because of how popular we are we got like 50 bajillion group chats so we got our boy joining us from boston lucas barry you can follow him on twitter at l barry underscore 40 boys what is happening this is a loaded podcast i'm excited to be here even though it is an absolute cluster f in chicago for the bears but i'm ready let's rock and roll yeah it's not looking too bad guys but uh thanks for uh having me on i appreciate it yeah i was gonna say you look like you're about to rob a damn bank dude <laughs> it, it's it's a uh, chill in our apartment they shut off our heat for the past few days for whatever reason oh, oh. my god dude you guys didn't get that figured out dude yeah well apparently we got, new, online. We, we got new ownership and the previous ownership just didn't pay the the bill for like two oh. months so they the company shut it off and then we're just like yeah that's not cool anyways yo we're gonna get right into it guys so we got to talk right epic meltdown at soldier field like this is a game that these guys should have won from the start because i wrote this in my columns on bear report is i was like listen first off i had the bears winning 16 to 9 right now i said this that if you lose to the lions it would be the lowest point in the season because you can't lose to a poverty franchise aj i'll go to you first here what were your thoughts on this game i was actually watching red zone for majority of the time, I wasn't even watching the football game. I I caught the the, the Quentin Cephas touchdown. Um, I know some of our fans were calling for OPI there. I didn't really see much for OPI. Thought that was a good play by him. Other than other than that, I did tune into like the fourth quarter where there was like um five bucks. Oh, like not five bucks. Sorry, five and some change left in the fourth quarter when Mister Biscuits got sack. And that's where the whole game turned up on its tailspin right there. So it was like 30 to 27. And instead of running the football that you've been doing really good in the first half, you only give David Montgomery six touches in the second half in a game that you're up 95% of the time. And then he takes a sack. And then what happens is punt the football. And then Matt Stafford and the Lions go 94 yards or 96 yards or something like that. And a defense, like like you saw last week in Sunday Night Football, completely bailed, up, bailed out on us. And I'm not going to criticize them because they kept, the, kept us in games for the first 10 weeks and the offense didn't come through for them. Now the offense is coming through and the defense is like, we're not going to help you now. Now we're just trying to play for a better draft pick. And I'm with them in that. I mean, for the Bears and what they're going to be doing for the next four games, lose, 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 and lose. Because I want Trey Lance in Chicago. Oh, oh yeah, I think I think our, our good friend Luke here is a, a big Trey Lance believer, and I'm with him on that. Yeah, he reminds me of a lot of a guy we saw last night on TV. I think he, I think a very good pro comparison for him is Josh Allen. He has the running bill. He's probably a better runner than Josh Allen, but yep. Allen probably has a slightly stronger arm. But both similar builds of quarterback, massive humans who are true dual threats in the NFL. I don't think people think of Allen enough like that. Like he, he runs a lot. Yeah. I want to go back to what AJ mentioned briefly, you know, the Trubisky strip sack, like, listen, when you're in that situation, first things first, it was a third and four, right? So you should have just ran the damn ball anyway. And I mentioned this multiple times. It's just that this offense, right? These guys get too damn aggressive with the play calling. And then they get too aggressive to the point where they just continue to bite themselves in the ass. Now, my whole thing is this is everyone's like, like Nagy yesterday and pressers was like, Oh yeah, it's unfortunate. Blah, 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 blah. But it's just like, dude, 
and he said in this situation, like, we would ask Mitch to step up and throw the damn ball. Like, bro, your second overall pick that's in his fourth year, your second overall pick that's a QB in his fourth year, he should know in that situation to just take the damn sack to keep the clock running or to scramble forward or to step up. Like, this is the reason Mitch got benched, right, back in week three. His benching was somewhat warranted, in my opinion. Was it at the right time? That's a totally separate story. But Mitch got benched because situational awareness – and how clueless he is was an issue in 2019. And it's an issue in 2020 as well. So everyone's like, yeah, you know, defense, this defense, that's like, yeah, I get the defense gave up 30 points to the Lions. Or I'm sorry, 34 to Detroit. But at the same time, like, why are you faulting them? Yeah, they should have gotten home because when it was Mitch's chance to take over in the final two minutes and prove that, you know what? I deserve this job, right? I should be here long-term. He didn't do so. Well, I was going to say, I, I don't even think he was asked to do that much in that game. Like, he played well, but, you know, they, the first half they were running the ball well, and they, he was hitting open receivers then because of the run game was working. And then, at, like you said, you see it at the end, you know, the situ- situational awareness has always been an issue with him. Like, he never knows when to throw the ball away. He never runs at the right time. It's always the wrong time for this guy. And then, like, when the game's on the line, he just holds on to the ball too long and he doesn't go down and he doesn't scramble. He just – like, you know your O-line's bad. You know you're going to have to get the ball out quick. What are you doing? Yeah, I was going to say, I think Nagy and Pace watched their job float away as that strip sack came in from the Lions. So, I agree. I mean, I think I actually enjoyed watching the offense on Sunday. I went to the game very neutral saying I'm not expecting much, and it was actually kind of fun to watch a semi-mediocre offense. But yeah, Mitch just has no football IQ, and that's his biggest thing. He's got the athleticism. I mean, he's an athletic quarterback, and he's got an okay arm. And when he does run, he runs well. But dude's clueless on the field in terms of just knowing when to make the right plays. And and it's been like that all year, and it's been like that since he came to Chicago. And that's frustrating because he's got the athletic ability to be a halfway decent quarterback in this league. But he's just – I don't want to say he's an idiot, but he's kind of an idiot on the field. (laughs) Dude, it's like I ranted to one of my coworkers at 4.30 in the morning at Starbucks after a game last season where Mitch completely just got screwed over and shit the bed basically for me to be nice. But I was just like, the thing with Mitch is he knows football, but he doesn't know how to play football. All right. And it's the same stuff week in and week out. Like the fact that people are like, oh, yeah, you know what? Like I thought Mitch played real well. Like, let's be real, dude. I thought Alex Smith played better against Washington. I'm sorry, against Pittsburgh. Then he... Mitch did like that yesterday, dude, was such a, I'm sorry, Sunday, actually, right? I'm getting my days all mixed up. But that Sunday game, dude, I was not impressed with Mitch at all because I was like, this is some of the stuff that you were pretty much doing like as a rookie. This is what you were doing as a rookie. Do you want to know something else that's aggravating? Like if you were watching that Washington game yesterday, you saw J.D. McKissick on every single play. He was a check down for Alex Smith and Alex Smith threw to him. He had 10 receptions. The Bears don't have anything like that built into their offense. And that's where I partly blame the coaches like, especially on a play like that, you got to get the ball out quick. Like there should be a running back outlet on every single play. And there's just some things with the bears offense. You're like, what are you, what are you scheming up? This is terrible. I was going to say, like, I'm sure like a guy who could be a solution to that is a Tariq Cohen, but you obviously don't have him this year. And I think the bears failed to look at the roster and find a solution to that. I mean, you have running backs on this roster who could be that role, like as a shutdown guy. And, and, Again, obviously, if you have Cohen out there, Cohen might make a three-yard reception more into a five-to-seven one, but obviously losing him early on in the year sucks. But that's, again, on the coaching staff to find a solution. You have a guy like Lamar Miller who has a little bit of gas left in his tank. You have a young undrafted rookie in Artavius Pierce who, in his limited time playing, I noticed a little boost in him. He's got a little bit, you know, he's got some, he's got some speed. He's got some tangibilities as a, of a running back that could potentially niche his way into a nice role, but... The Bears failed to recognize that. So I agree with you there. That's frustrating. And in a lost season, this is the time to see it. Throw him out there. See what, it, see what he's got. Like we're seeing it with Sam Mustafer. This, this guy could be a potential piece down the line. He's good. He's been playing well for the Bears. But give some other guys a chance like that. Dude, like this, this is my point in things. I watch all these, these other teams in the league. Like, dude, Seattle's throwing Bo Scarborough out there, man. Like this guy. It was undrafted. Like, the Bears, like, they have these ga- – they, they don't have, like, you know, like, explosive players and stuff, but they have guys like Artavius Pierce, you know, who did show flashes in that one game, and then we don't see him again. You know, that's what the Bears do. They We don't have that coaching staff 
that extended extendedly looks into our in, into our talent. You know, it digs into our practice squad, like what San Francisco does. Call John Lynch whatever you want, but he picked up Jeff Wilson, who I don't even know who he is until yesterday, who got a touchdown and eight carries and 47 yards, who completely destroyed my rushing attempts bet for Raheem Mostert. So, you know, that's how you find gems. And, you know, Artavius Pierce is that gem find. I, I think Mostert, wasn't he undrafted too? He was on the Bears for a little bit. He was on like 10 different teams. Uh, yeah, Chris it's Carson, just like we like, fail. Yeah. Chris Carson is like a seventh round pick for Seattle. Like, there's yeah. just these guys, they're good at evaluating. When Ed Dodge was there that's, too. That's a whole different story yeah. here. I, I don't know. Um, are you guys mad at the outcome of the game though? Are you mad or yeah. is this better for the f- future franchise? Yeah, no, there's two ways for me to look at it, right? It's just like 50% of me is like, okay, you should have never lost to the Lions, especially because every time it's Lions week, all right, for the last three years, every Mitch stand just brings up like Mitch's number against the Lions. And it was just so much more prevalent this week than it was even leading up to week one, like a couple days after Schefter announced it was going to be Trubisky over Foles as the starting QB. But then like you look at it and you're like, okay, in certain ways, you know, I don't, think Mitch is going to be here next year um you know unless he tears it up the final four games and what really will put you know this team over the edge is if some way somehow this team figures out how to beat the Packers in week 17 at home in front of Virginia and George and Ted which probably means that Ryan and Matt are back then at that point but it's just like for the future you could say that's the only silver lining is now you have put yourself at I think Tankathon's got the Bears at 13th overall, right? So now you have a chance at sneaking into the top 10 to grab a Zach Wilson, to grab potentially a guy like Trey Lance. But like other than that, dude, it was just a flat out embarrassing loss that was just such a low point in the season. You know, I mean, if this if this is a loss that gets you Wilson and Lance and you hit on Wilson and Lance, then people are going to talk about this loss as being the greatest ever in Chicago history for the next like 30 to 40 years. But in the moment, dude, it sucks. Yeah, I, I wrote an article for uh, for Bear Goggles um, on uh, the Bear Cipher fan site. It uh, came out today, but um, I did take that as a positive from a loss is getting closer to a higher draft pick. I don't like watching a team that's tanking. I don't like watching a team that's purposely trying to lose. And I'm not saying that that should be the immediate option, but the Bears are going to have a first-round pick for the first time in two years. The last time they drafted a first-round pick was Roquan Smith in 2018. That's exciting to think about. It's exciting to imagine the idea of a guy like Trey Lance, a guy like Zach Wilson. I mean, heck, even a guy like uh, Kyle Trask, who I know Bears fans are hot and cold about. But the idea of just like, man, we could get a young quarterback. We might even get a top offense alignment prospect. That's exciting to think about in terms of long-term success. In terms of right now being in the 2020 season, it sucks. It's absolutely awful that we lost to a Detroit Lions team that just fired their general manager and head coach. Both my parents are Lions fans. They were absolutely giving me shit, um, excuse my language, this past weekend because we lost to them, and I was upset about it. But obviously you have to look from all perspectives. There's good and bad that comes from this loss. And again, I mean, going 5-11 and 11 does give you the, the best option to get a good prospect, but going 5-11 and 11 is also just going to be kind of a lousy next month. I mean, again, I don't like watching my teams lose in the moment, but in terms of long-term success – I could see that being a possibility. So it's, it's this weird middle ground I'm in and it's frustrating, but I don't know. It was a tough game to watch, but it was fun. The first half. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the kind of turning point for me in this season is that Rams game. You know, everyone was talking about how the Rams or the, the bears were, you know, five and one and they beat some bad teams and some wacky ways and they were frauds. And I was like, okay, you know, this, this is the game. We'll truly see what kind of team they were. I think everyone saw that the bears were not as good as we thought they were. And, Kind of at that point in the season, I, I realized that uh, this isn't going to work long term, and the future of Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace might be in the balance. And um, honestly, just I don't know. I'm not saying it's good that they lost to the Lions, but I I think this loss sealed some people's fates in Chicago. And for the long term value of the franchise, it might be for the better. I thought I, I really thought that like you know the Bears would shake it up and then fire Ryan Pace and Nagy something that they have never done before. Like you mentioned today's chat, like time, time's got to change. Things have got to change now. So, I mean, you know, the bears won't do that. You know, I mean, you, you said this, t- uh, 
kept on telling me. I mean, ever since the Colts game, like that was a turning point for me. I mean, a lot for you is the Rams game, but you know, the Colts game really, really bothered me. You know, when the defense was out there going up against a really, really good off, a uh, really, really good offense at the time. I think the Colts were up there. They had the best defense in the league, and you know, only putting up three points majority of that game. That was the turning point for me. Uh, well, warnings, and then the Rams game where. Um, Nick Foles through that weird interception to Troy Hill. And then it was just, I, I was just done with this team ever since that game. Like, you know, the record for, for the first six weeks was inferior, weak. You know, we were facing the first three, three weeks of the season. We are facing three really, really bad teams. You know, I'm talking to fans on Twitter and people tell me, like, oh, we're five and one, five and two, five and three, five and four. What now? We're five and seven. What do you got to tell now? Say to me now. I mean, if it, if it means to you that you got to beat Green Bay, go to six, go six and ten. That's fine. But you're probably giving up on Trey Lance and Zach Wilson if you win that game. You're probably going to drop to sixteen instead of twelve. Come uh, when it comes to week sixteen or week seventeen. Sorry. So lose out and see what we can do on January fourth because that's what I want to do. I want to enjoy my holidays with my family here. Move back with my parents. So yeah, well, I think I think you got to give a little bit of credit to the uh, to the Rams. I think it's a, a much better team than a lot of people were expecting. Of yeah, definitely. McVay is a hell of a coach, man. Of course, and and I think that offense is starting to really click, and they have a good defense. Um, yeah. and and you know, I I think last year was a bit of a fluke for them, and this year they're they're definitely. I mean, honestly, I have them as my favorites to win at FC West. Um, but again, I think. Uh, I'm, I think Robert Schmidt said it from Winnie City Gridiron. The, the Rams game is, feels like it's always been a turning point for the Bears the past three years. Um, and I think, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think this year was truly the game and that has kind of shaped who we were as a team. Obviously, the Colts loss was tough, but I think that Colts team, kind of like AJ said, is a, very, is a good team. It's a better team than people expected. So that loss was frustrating, but I didn't really see it as like a big red flag. I saw it as, a, all right, we just played our first good team and we kind of got our, our butts kicked. Now we got to kind of look to see how we can how we can bounce back. And obviously, we beat the Bucks. And in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, we went toe to toe with the Bucks. Maybe we have a chance to to really play against some of these contenders down this harder stretch of games. And they just didn't show up. And I think the Rams game was the big one. Um, and kind of since then, my mentality has been maybe we have a chance, but I'm not really feeling it at this point. So you know, I think losing to the Lions was is not really the loss that has changed my perspective on the season, but it definitely was one that made me think it's, it's time for the direction of where we want to go to change for sure. Well, dude, you, you know, last point I'll make here, but before we transition into the Chris interview and then the Houston game, right. I, I really think dude, the issues just come down to the fact that like the Rams, right? Like Schmitz is cause Rob Schmitz is right. You know, I talked to him regularly on Twitter. I mean, the Rams game is a turning point because in 2018, you look at it, it was like a high flying offense versus the best defense in the NFL. And that 2018 bears D was on par with like the 85 bears and some of the greatest defenses in the NFL. But the thing is, it's like you beat the Rams in that game. I know Mitch and golf played terrible. Mitch had four interceptions that night, but it was the first, week back from like a two-week absence but the point is dude is the fact that that game right solidified the bears as a super bowl contender because after that 2018 game on sunday night i was like yo this team can beat anybody then you look at the 2019 loss against the rams in la at the la coliseum and that game was the game where there's a rumor broke that mitch got benched when in reality that was the idiot al michaels who started it when what really happened is Mitch had a hit pointer injury that they evaluated at halftime. He played through it until like the last three minutes of the game and bears PR on Twitter announced like, no, Mitch is hurt. He's not benched that Rams game. You know, Mitch played decent enough to the point where they weren't supposed to lose the game, but they didn't do anything right around him. Like that was the game. The idiot Anthony Miller ran like a 16 yard route instead of what was should have been a 14 yard route ended up in an interception. And then you look at this last one, like, yeah, they couldn't get anything done, dude. They didn't get anything going until garbage time under Nick Foles. And, you know, Richard Coward was there, was one of the starting left guards in that game, which like you knew at that time they had Mustafa and bars as well. So it just goes back to what I've been saying and, banging my head against the wall about this is a damn team dude it's a coaching staff that makes moves much later than they should always the organization as a whole i think does um i think there is a a little bit of a silver lining in this is i think we can agree that mitch probably won't be back here next year 
Um, we play some bad teams. If he does kind of elevate the Bears a little bit where he looks decent, he might get signed for a contract, and the Bears might get a fourth or fifth-round comp pick for some Trubisky signing somewhere. So that could be a benefit to Trubisky playing the rest of the season um, and then not going back to Foles, I think. You know, if that's the case, I mean, like, if Allen Robinson is not, not going to get the money in Chicago, should just let him get $20 million elsewhere, too. Because I know Baltimore's probably looking for a receiver, too. And I know, like, Lamar Jackson, like, if he can probably get his throwing mechanics on 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 track, he's going to probably have a field day with, like, Mark Andrews, Allen Robinson, and Marquise Brown, dude. And, like, you know, I think Baltimore is just that receiver away from actually being, a, like, a consistent contender in the AFC, too. Because, like, you talk, you talk about all these mobile quarterbacks, and I know Lamar Jackson is not there yet as a NFL QB. But, like, when you talk about Allen Robinson, who's never had a QB in his life, you know? I mean, we, we thought it was Mitch Trubisky in 2018, you know? Let him go to Baltimore, you know? I, I don't think it's, it, it's in um, Allen Robinson future that he's ever going to play with the QB. I think he's just going to bounce from teams to teams where the QB is just a running QB and has like terrible throwing accuracy. I don't think Allen Robinson's ever going to get get that in his career, like an accurate quarterback. And I feel sorry for him. And, you know, he's not going to get that money in Chicago. He's definitely not going to get that $20 million paycheck here in Chicago. So get that comp pick too for him. Joining us now, though, we've got someone on the other line that needs no introduction whatsoever, but we're going to go ahead and introduce him. We've got 670, the score's very own, Chris Emma. You can follow him on Twitter at CMA670. Chris, what's going on? Thanks for being on here. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. I mean, yeah, we're doing real well. You know, we got to get you on here, you know, just to talk some bears because obviously nothing else going on in Chicago besides quarantine. Yeah. Uh, we you got to start with it's been a lost season for the most part, but what do you think is um, what do you think are just some silver linings for this pretty much lost season for the bears? I think you have to start with the fact that this season mattered. You know, it's, it, you said it's a lost season in terms of the record. They went from five and one to five and seven. It's going to take some mathematics to make the playoffs. But um, the fact is you've learned what this team really is. And you, you can't kid yourself about the record. You can't kid yourself about the talent. And you can't look at 2019 and say that was an anomaly anymore. Uh, you had to learn something of this season. And it had to matter more than just another eight and eight and a little bit of mediocrity. I mean, you had to either see this team rise to its 2018 form and be a playoff team and a legitimate contender, or you had to see this thing bottom out and you had to start from scratch and figure things out from there. And I think it's important that this, this team has endured what it has the last six games because it brought reality back into House Hall, and it's something they have to evaluate now. Uh, Chris, so my question kind of has to do with the offseason now, looking forward, looking to 2021. What's a realistic outlook in terms of the roster, changes that could be made, moves that the Bears could make? The two areas I'm most uh, particular about is what's the future of the quarterback position look like, and will we see Allen Robinson in the Bears uniform next year? Yeah, there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to decide, and really, it's so hard to say right now because it, it starts with George McCaskey and what he wants to do. I mean, it, it, who's the in charge of the football operations? Is it Ryan Pace? Do you, uh, you fire Ryan Pace and bring in a new GM? Do you let Ryan Pace hang around but bring in somebody above him? Uh, who's the head coach going to be? What's this offense going to look like? And then you go down the line. Um, I think you're best suited you, – you can't, in my opinion, get rid of a GM but not a coach or a coach but not a GM. You can't latch a GM to a head coach or vice versa. Uh, it's not fair to anybody involved. It, it, it just sets things back further. And then with respect to what you're saying, too, the quarterback position's open. You don't know who your quarterback is long-term. Nick Foles will be with the team next year. It doesn't make sense to get rid of him contractually. But who's your quarterback in the future? So that's something where the Bears have to realize you have an opportunity now to align a head of football operations, whether that's general manager, whatever the title may be, with a head coach and a quarterback. Get those three in line the way that the Bears thought they had a couple years ago with Pace, Nagy, and Trubisky. Um, clearly, there's a way to quarterback. It looks like there's going to be a void at head coach and general manager right now, too, given the way things have gone. It, it just seems like more of an inevitability now. So you have a chance to get the, those three guys aligned together and move forward with your organization from there. So that really caters into our next question. Do you think that, because I think it's very clear at this point, George McCaskey is very annoyed with the state of the team, especially because Pace has had six years to kind of build this thing. Now, 
Do you think that Pace and Nagy, is there any chance that they're back in 2021? Or does that essentially just mean, or does the loss to the Lions, the way they melted down, mean that they're completely gone? That was the perfect storm of a game for Matt Nagy. I mean, you, you got an opportunity back at home, coming off that game again, Green Bay, where you just called everybody out, you called out their pride, you dug personal, and you lose a game like that to an interim coach and a team that really you felt the Bears were better than. You thought the Bears were, at the very least, better than the Lions, and they were going to win that game. They were up 10 with a few minutes to go in the fourth quarter. You absolutely can't lose that game. with the circumstances before the game, and then with a 10-point lead in the game, you just can't blow that one. Uh, it was the perfect storm and kind of the lightning rod for what, what seems like it's inevitable now. I mean, it seemed inevitable after that Packers game. That was a fifth straight loss, an embarrassing loss at Lambeau Field to the arch rivals. They had to bounce back and respond well, and losing that game is a reflection of Nagy. Uh, I thought up until just a few weeks ago that Pace and Nagy were going to be safe, even despite the losing streak and things spiraling and the team clearly showing flaws. But there's a sense of embarrassment that really has hit this season now, where it's just become kind of a joke. And you have alumni, Bears alumni, guys like Matt Forte and Lance Briggs, Owen Kruitz are, are calling out the realities and saying this is a joke. This team, you know, this family deserves better. This team needs to be better. I think that hits home for the McCaskies, the cumulative embarrassment of everything they've endured. Forget just you know this whole season. The last two weeks, the last two weeks have felt like a lifetime in terms of Bears embarrassment, and I think George McCaskey feels that. I think that forces change, and it really forces what we were talking about before: new head coach, new general manager, and kind of a new direction. So, kind of a quick follow up for that before we let AJ ask his question: Why do you think the McCaskies value? Because I, why do you think the McCaskies value what their former players are saying? Because I know Matt Forte. I had a couple tweets on Sunday right after the game criticizing Nagy. We've seen Oil and Crutes come out and say certain things as well on the radio. Why do you think the McCaskies value their former players so much? It's just a different ownership group. I mean, it's not like Jerry Jones. I wrote this a couple of days ago, but, you know, George McCaskey isn't like Jerry Jones who flies in in a helicopter to his team facility. He drives a, he drives a Honda. He lives a very normal life. He enjoys – he's not in this for the money. You know, he, he – obviously, there's tons of – the benefits to being a McCaskey financially, of course, but I mean, he's not in this for the money. This is their family pride and joy. And there's not a lot of organizations that refer to their former players as alumni, but that's how they treat the, you know, especially the greats, especially guys like Matt Forte, you know, like Charles Tillman, some of these players who they're so excited to invite back to Hallis Hall and shake hands and hugs and all that. They love these former players and they cherish them within the Bears organization. That's something that goes back to George Hallis. It's something Virginia McCaskey cherishes these players. Uh, The Bears just operate differently. And when they feel the criticism coming from players, they feel the embarrassment. It hits home maybe different than what a fan might be saying because uh, there's so many fans out there, but there's only so many guys who have worn the Bears uniform and really earned that kind of endearment of the McCaskey family. All right. So, Chris, big fan of you. Um, uh, like my question is, as a season ticket holder for the last, uh, I think it was 29 years, my aunt bought the tickets after they won the Super Bowl and no results since then. But like, <laughs> yeah, but like, what's the future of Ted Phillips? Like we see some rumors of him resigning um, as like a graceful 20 years of the organization. So he doesn't want to get any backlash for what happened for the last five years or six years. So. Uh, what do you think? Um, does he resign and see what What about George McCaskey as well? Do we move on from the two? Does George McCaskey remain the chairman um, or just Ted Phillips leaves? What do you think, man? Yeah, I, I'll start. I don't think Ted Phillips gets fired per se. You know, I don't think he's terminated from the building or anything like that. But uh, I think the Bears, if he does want to stick around, could do well by saying you're president of business operations and just kind of removing that kind of public view. Ted Phillips doesn't make football decisions. He helps guide them in a sense where, for example, in 2018 when the Bears were searching for their head coach, he was along for the ride with uh, Ryan Pace and some of the guys of his front office, but he wasn't making the decisions. He was just kind of there to help some of the financial side. I heard that from a good source who was part of that. Simply said, he's there to kind of ensure some of the financial details and move forward the hiring process so the Bears could do that before any other team could. So uh, he's more of an innocent bystander to the football operations, and he's going to take a lot of criticism because that's all he is. Like I said, he's just he's a bystander. He's not somebody who forces change, who, who's authoritative or in charge. Um, I think he gets a bad rap. I think he kind of does. I think he's, 
you know, he just isn't simply isn't involved in the football side. He straight up said that. He said he doesn't want to be involved with it. But at the same time, but I was just saying, what are you doing that? If you're the president of a football team and you're not really enforcing anything on the football side, what's the point? Um, so I, I, I know David Kaplan, uh, you know, my, my buddy, I love, I love the cat, man. And I said it on uh, ESPN 1000 yesterday and from what I saw on Twitter that Ted Phillips is contemplating retirement. I don't know that to be true, uh, but I tend to believe uh, Kaplan, he says these kind of things. So. Uh, at the very least, I think the Bears could benefit by putting him in a different title with that business operations off to the side and maybe hire that head of football operations, you know, some president of football operations, whatever you want to call it. Maybe just simply empower the general manager a little bit differently. Yeah, I, I think like um, before you said you can go ahead. I mean, like I, I really think that like you know you, if you can move him to like a director of financing, like I agree with you. He's like more of a bystander. But like I think the the aggravation of Bears fans where it comes from is like the CEO title. Like if you're the CEO of the team, what are you exactly doing? And George McCaskey being the chairman. So I mean, from a business standpoint, you you really think that like Ted Phillips is the guy behind the curtains. So, like I really think that like it could be fifty fifty. It could be a hundred to zero where Ted Phillips is just the innocent bystander. And it's like you said. So, yeah, man, um, yeah, it clears up a lot of things for me as a season ticket holder. But, like, we'll see if we can hang on to those tickets here. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, with Ted, I mean, I, he's, he's been open about this, that he doesn't want to be involved in the football side. But like you said, it's just I, I understand the frustration with fans because he's, like you said, he's CEO. That's the top man uh, you know, below the chairman. And you're saying, what does he do here? It's, I mean, the business side of the NFL is pretty good. Like, you're making money as an NFL organization. The Bears also still operate like kind of a mom-pop shop on the business side where I think they have one true side venture, and that's their, uh, their Bears fit, which – they opened up, I think, last year in, in Libertyville. Uh, the Cowboys have like dozens and dozens of side business. There's no bear stores popping up in Wrigleyville or downtown Chicago or that kind of thing. Um, so they also don't have the you know the kind of global uh, business presence that you want of a major brand like the Bears. But so I understand the frustrations with Ted Phillips. I think in terms of the football side, uh, there's other things to clear up there. So I need to ask you, because you mentioned a couple times just talking about they might restructure the entire football operations side of things in the sense that, okay, Pace and Nagy are gone. Ted Phillips kind of gets his role moved around. Do you have in mind just any candidates league-wide that you would like to see that do step into the president of football operations slash GM role? That's a really good question. I I wish I had an answer. I I was thinking about this yesterday because I've started to formulate the the head coaching list in my head and thinking about it if and when it gets to that. I haven't got to the general manager side yet, so if you guys have me on in a few weeks, I might have a better list for you. Um, But one thing is clear. It's I thought Pro Football Focus had a good story yesterday about the kind of qualities you want in a general manager. And one thing that stood out as it relates to Ryan Pace is, which was seen as a negative in, in the article's eyes, is that he only came up with one organization. He's not somebody who bounced around from organization to organization, successful organizations, and found different philosophies of player acquisition and talent evaluation and that kind of thing. He came up with the Saints, and he learned the Saints' ways, and he tried to bring the Saints to, to Chicago. And he failed in that. I, I mean, they've done a good job adding some talented pieces and building a roster that seemed like it was going to be poised for sustained success. But I, I think part of the issues of this team is too many ways of trying to fit the Saints mold into the Bears and trying to force things. And if you, I think it's really important to have a general manager, I agree with what the article said, who comes from different backgrounds of scouting, different perspectives and different front offices. Uh, Chris, I want to go back to the coaching situation again because you brought up Nagy a couple of times. In your latest article from 670 The Score, you had an excerpt in there that I was curious about. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Uh, it said, Nagy feels like the line of communication has been, he has with McCaskey and the Bears management group has been strong, though he hasn't met with them to seek assurance of his job status. If the communication is as good as he's claimed, shouldn't there have been a meeting at this point in the season? You think so, right? I mean, and for somebody, he said he's not speculating on his job security, but he also hasn't asked about it. You have to be curious. I mean, look, there's four games left in the regular season. Uh, you were you were t- coach of the year two years ago. Don't you want to know if you're going to be putting your house on the market soon, if you're going to be uprooting your family? It's natural to want to know. You know, it's obviously – 
football coaches know there's no job security in these jobs. And, you know, like I said, I mean, Matt Nagy was the toast of to the town a couple of years ago, and now everybody's calling for his heads, and this thing is completely unraveled on him. Uh, football coaches understand what they're in for. Even talking with some of the assistant coaches on Nagy's staff last week and some of these interviews, they said they understand the job security element, but it's natural to want to know. I, I think what excuse me, what Nagy was trying to say more so is, you know, in the past, in terms of some of the decisions that they've made, um, the head coaches, uh, general managers, assistant coaches in the Bears organization know it's a family organization and you're representing the McCaskies just as much as you are, you know, the city of Chicago and this entire organization. So uh, coaches have found it important to go to George on some of these major decisions and kind of just letting somebody like George and even Ted Phillips know, okay, here's what we're doing. This is why, or, you know, here's a decision that we had. It was costly. This is why we did it. Um, and now, I think Nagy enjoys having that kind of open dialogue about, and that was the term he used was explaining the whys, but I find it hard to believe that Nagy hasn't felt some of the frustration of George McCaskey or doesn't have a particular direction in mind. And, you know, I know they've had a very open and honest uh, relationship. And so that was what he said this yesterday. So if you go the remaining four weeks or even the remaining six weeks, I don't know when the last time Nagy and McCaskey spoke, but the longer there's silence between the two, the more there's smoke out there. Yeah, I think Nagy's tone in press conferences is interesting because I know like you guys are in the Zoom calls with him, so you can ask him questions. But just when I'm watching them on YouTube or Periscope, for example, I mean, it just seems like the tone of Matt Nagy has kind of changed because yesterday he seemed way more optimistic, sounded way more optimistic than he should have been, especially after you blow a 10-point lead and meltdown the way you did to the Lions. But then you go back to like the Saints game, for example, where I know after that game in the press conferences, he was just totally deflated. So he sounded Sounds like a guy, I think, right now that kind of sees the writing is on the wall in terms of what his job status could be, but just is not willing to acknowledge it. That's the perfect way to put it. I mean, even go back to Sunday after the game. I don't know if you'd heard it, like heard his tone or heard his comments, but that was just a feat of a man as I've seen since really probably Mark Trestman at the end of the 14. I think John Fox was kind of numb to it all by the end of it. And there's so many losses that piled up. He just, there wasn't anything to really change in his tone. Um, Nike sounds like Tressman at the end of that 14 run where things were just everything piled on him. It escalated so quickly. He just sounded as dejected as I'd heard of him. Even you compare that to Monday after that game against the Packers where, you know, he's busting out the stinkins and the freakins and he was really fired up. And it was just a different guy after the game Sunday because he was so stunned at how they lost that game. He couldn't believe it. He, he couldn't fathom the idea that they had a 10-point lead, that their offense had finally clicked. The offense, as he said, had the best game of the year, and I'd agree with that. And the defense let them down entirely at the end. And, you know, some of these play calls and the decisions really went back to him, and he knew it. He knew that he blew a lot of parts of that game. Uh, yesterday's tone, yesterday, I don't know when this podcast is going up, but yesterday being Monday, it was, it was more of a tone of somber. He understands what's coming. I think he understands that his job is seriously in doubt. Got it. So I need to ask you, right, because we are approaching the half hour mark almost. We've got about a couple minutes to go. But do you think the defense has reached a legitimate breaking point this season? Because this is a defense, right, where, like, you know, when they're playing at a high level, there's no way that they allow 30, I'm sorry, 41 to Green Bay and then 34 mm -hmm. to Detroit. Do you think the defense has gotten to a breaking point now, especially having to compensate for the offense just earlier in the season? I'm really wondering that. I wrote about that today. It's not uh, up yet. It will be at 670thescore.com. I mean, you look at some of these details with the defense. Like, it's just not the same defense that we saw earlier in the season, that defense that was carrying them. It comes at a time that, like I said before, the offense is finally figuring things out around Trubisky and Bill Lazor and the, uh, the offensive line a little, little bit more stabilized. I mean, it's just it, you're not seeing the same defense at all. You're recognizing the void of Eddie Goldman more. Um, obviously, Akeem Hicks coming off the injury. I don't know if you're expecting him to go out there and dominate, given that he's still kind of dealing with that hamstring. Jaleel Mack has the back issue, but he hasn't been the same player since – he hasn't had a sack since November 1st. Robert Quinn is giving you nothing. One sack all season, that first snap of his time in a Bears uniform. Um, there's a lot of issues with this, Steve. Eddie Jackson – well, no interceptions this season. That's a guy who just paid a huge amount of money to in the secondary. And then, I mean, you look at some of the fundamental issues that are there. It's clear there's some problems right now, but it looks like they quit too. I mean, I, I met Nagy called out their pride. 
Tony Dungy in that game against the Packers said it looks like they would given up. And they went out there and gave up 460 yards a week later. Some major issues with this defense right now. Chris, how much of those issues do you think is a, a roster side of things? And how much of that is uh, to put blame on to defensive coordinator Chuck Pagano? That's a good question. I, that's, I, I need to really dig deeper into that one. Uh, Chuck Pagano is not calling this defense in a way that I think is beneficial for some of the personnel. Um, and, and this is, you look back on when he was hired after that 18th season, it's kind of the stuff you expected. I mean, it, he's not a guy who rushes a lot of exotic blitzes and, you know, puts something like a Roquan Smith through the A-gap or blitzing like a buster screen out of the nickel spot. He prefers to drop six or seven into coverage and let four guys rush. Or even we've seen some three-man rushes. Um, he trusts his defensive front again home, which I, I guess when you're talking about Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, Akeem Hicks, some of these other guys they have in the defensive front, you hope they can get home. I mean, you believe in those guys to do it. And they just haven't done it consistently. And the sack numbers are way down this season. Uh, the disruption is not even better. It's not – I mean, they're not getting home to the quarterback. They're not even really getting pressuring these guys too much. They hardly touched. They didn't – let's see, they, they hurried Aaron Rodgers once in that game. Uh, they got a, two sacks on Matthew Stafford. They hardly got much pressure on him. You look at that 96-yard drive at the end of that game Sunday. Stafford had all day. Just all day. I mean, it, it's, it's a mix of – the defensive front is letting down Pagano, and Pagano is letting down the rest of the defense. Why don't you rush and Roquan Smith more? Why don't you get, you know, that's a guy who's a tremendous athlete. He can fly to the football. Uh, why are you creating some kind of disruption or something more predict, um, some unpredictability within this group? You've not seen that from Pagano, and I think that's really disappointing right now. Yeah, it's been, it's been incredibly frustrating to watch, especially these last two weeks. So, yeah, I'm glad I got your thoughts on that. Yeah, Chris, what do you, what do you think about a Rob in a situation hopping out of bounds there. I mean, I really thought that like, you know, you can do one of those trick plays in college where you're trying to go right, you spin around and then you go left and you go for like another 20 yards. You know, I saw that on Saturday in the Notre Dame game. I was wondering if Allen Robinson could like, you know, get that yard and then put the game away. Maybe. I, I don't fault him for that one. It, it's, it's one of those where you, you watch it on TV or you even do the slow-mo. It, it looks bad because I mean, he was a yard short. You needed to get that. And you knew, that was such a tough situation because it forced them into that fourth and one where you have to prioritize moving the chains. Then you can start throwing deep. It's a different scenario at the end of the game if he does get out of bounds past the first down marker or even get the first down and then you use your time out there. Uh, but that said, that's one of those. Yeah, the defender fell down behind him. It was, it was unfortunate because he could, if he knew the defender was down, he could have done a quick turnaround, quick pivot and gone for the first down marker, maybe even broken it to the end zone. Um, but that's one where he was playing in the scenario. It's not like he forgot what was going on. I mean, he knew he had to get out of bounds first. And that's one of those where you do a quick turn. I think it hit him. You could kind of see in his eyes. And especially after the game, after the after the fourth of one fell short, you could see it in his face. He was he knew that he blew it on that. But that's one of those where you're making a quick turn. You have to react. Um, I mean, he tried. He tried to get to the first down marker, but his first instinct is catch the ball, get out of bounds, hope your momentum can get you there. It looked bad, but he's also a really smart player who, you know, he's got his head on the, on his swivel for most of these games, and it was just one of those tough situations for him where it got away from him in that moment. Yeah, I mean, like, I have another question after this, but go get your bag, Allen Robinson. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be in Chicago, but what do you think <laughs> about, yeah, what do you think about the QB position here in Chicago? Do you think that the Bears actually, like, I know they're not going to cut Nick Foles. I think that's their preemptive starter in 2021. Do they go out in the first round or second round and get that person where they can sit behind Nick Foles, or do they actually just change it up or go wide receiver or offensive line to actually provide some explosiveness in this offense? What do you think? They have to get some kind of developmental quarterback. I'm a firm believer that every team has to have a developing quarterback. Somebody, even if it's behind a established, like with the Packers, for example, like you have to have that Jordan Love. Maybe, maybe you don't draft him in the first round when you need other positions like the Packers did, but you have to have somebody who's that understudy and developing. And especially when you're the Bears, where you have what four former quarterbacks on your coaching staff and Nagy, DeFilippo, Laser, and uh, Ragone. 
somebody should be there to help kind of oversee the development of a young quarterback. And uh, I, I, the Bears don't have that right now. Trubisky is their only young quarterback. Their third-string quarterback is Tyler Bray, who's the system guy. I've heard that term a lot. Uh, they could have drafted a quarterback in that 19 draft or even the 18 draft. And it, it's not a slap in the face to Mitch Trubisky. It's simply doing due diligence on the most important position in sports. Um, so the fact they don't have that guy right now is disappointing. And that's an indictment of Ryan Pace, who's drafted one quarterback in six years with the Bears. Um, they have to draft they have to draft a quarterback. They absolutely have to. Whether that is first round, you know, I, I don't recommend a trade up given the way that these trades up have gone for the Bears, but if it's Zach Wilson in the first round or somebody in the second round, even if it's somebody on day three who you simply want to fill all their needs in the first two days of the draft, and you know, you, you know that quarterback isn't there, you don't force the quarterback pick because of the sake of getting a quarterback. But if there's somebody on day three who you feel like you can take a chance kind of maybe develop, get that guy. Regardless of how it happens, you have to draft a quarterback. Uh, Nick Foles is going to be your veteran. Who knows who else is going to round out that depth chart, but they have to have somebody who's developing and moving toward being that quarterback of the future, whether he's the answer in a day one guy or he's a day three guy who you hope is treading that way. Just make that move. Yeah, I, my, my, my weird theory is this, and I don't think Bears fans would necessarily agree with that. They, they signed Mitch Trubisky to a cheap two-year extension, and then they actually sit him for a year behind Nick Foles under a new offensive coordinator, and he learns that offense and goes out in 2022 and does what he did. But, like, that is actually seeming more of a long shot. But, yeah, that was my last thought, I think. I, I, don't, I don't think he had the ability to sit that full year in 2017. Uh, twenty Yeah, 2017. So I think if he did, I think it would have turned out differently for him. I don't hate it in terms of an option, but uh, I mean, I still don't see him as a developing quarterback right now. He's 26. He'll be 27 by week one of next season. Uh, you've seen all you need to see. He's been in the league four years. It's not just game reps. It's practice reps, too. Uh, no, regardless of who the coaching staff is, who the general manager is, I think everybody in the league kind of knows what Mitch Trubisky is. And you have to get a young guy, start fresh with that developmental prospect. For sure. I agree. All right, so Chris, we're hitting that uh, half-hour mark here, but we just want to thank you so much for being on again. You know, we'd love to have you on again in the off-season or sometime over the next couple of weeks if you'd love to be on again. Let's do it. And, hey, who knows how much different things will be, whether it's in a couple of weeks or the off-season. It's, it's been an interesting year. It's been an interesting few weeks, certainly, and four games left. Who knows what's going to happen? All right, awesome. Thanks again for being on. We'll talk later, but uh, thank you, man. Take care, guys. All right, so that was you guys know who that was. That was six seventy the scores very own Chris Emma, and it was an awesome interview. We hope to have him on again in the future. But now we know Deshaun Watson's coming in town on Sunday, and I think it was what last fall that the story broke that the Chicago some guys the Chicago Tribune. I think it was Brad Biggs and whoever else. I totally forgot, but anyway, they talked about how the Bears never even bothered to take Deshaun out to dinner. Now I think if Pace is getting fired at the end of the year, guys, what a great way to have Deshaun come to town great job nfl just three weeks before this guy's set to lose his job deshaun's gonna have a bit of a ryan pace farewell tour luke i'll start with you in this one what are you watching for in this bears texans game can the defense respond after these past two weeks can they you know this is a texas team who doesn't have will fuller you know they, they have brandon cooks he's a very good receiver but uh, he's very he could shut him down kyle fuller could shut him down eddie jackson could shut him down can this bears defense elevate their play this week and and you know make a statement because there's going to be a lot of trash talk between Watson but overall I just think it's going to be poetic justice like you said that Mitch fumbles and then Watson comes to town and beats the Bears ass and that's how they get fired for me it's the defense though the thing is, right, is um, before I let AJ and Sam jump in, I really think, dude, like this is going to be the game where Deshaun's set out to prove something because he tweeted this a couple months ago, right, where I think Roddy White mentioned something about the Bears have never had like a black quarterback. And then Deshaun was like, yeah, these guys didn't even bring me in for a visit or they didn't even bother talking to me. There's all that controversy that went down like in the spring and summer of 2020. And I really think that this is going to be the game. Like Deshaun's got something to prove because I remember, dude, he was personally my QB1 at that time during the draft. And rightfully so, because of all that he had accomplished at Clemson, I was under the assumption if they're going to take a QB, it would take Watson. Because if you bring Watson to Chicago, what would have happened is he would have had a bigger legacy than Michael Jordan. And I'm convinced of that because this is a Bears first town. All right. 
here, if you bring the, I mean, we still talk about Jim McMahon, dude, and the 85 <laughs> Bears, like they're Michael Jordan. Imagine if the Bears hit on a damn franchise QB. I mean, Watson would have been the guy in Chicago. Um, for me, what I'm watching for, dude, is like you said, Luke, like I'm looking for how Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and Rob Quinn, right? How do they respond against Deshaun Watson? And then also I'm w- watching for what does this offense do, especially knowing that, they're going to have to go up against a guy like J.J. Watt. I think that this is the game that's going to tell you a lot about the right side of your offensive line. So a guy like Alex Bars, for example, someone like Sam Mustafer. I Fetty, we know he should not be here next year, but Mustafer and Bars are the two guys that I'm keeping an eye on. Do these guys have what it takes to slow down J.J. Watt? I don't think this Texas defense is too good, though. Like, this should be a high-scoring game. It should be just like last week. But if the Bears can stop their off or the Texans' offense like they should have the Lions, then – they shouldn't be. I think the Bears are much better on paper than the Texans, besides QB. But that might literally might be the difference of them just beating us flat out because our defense doesn't care. Yeah, I, I think for me, um, I'm going to be completely honest. I hope Deshaun goes off because I think uh, one, I I really like him as a quarterback, and I think he's personally having his best year in Houston, despite everything that's happened. Um, with that organization, the moves they've made this year. I think he's having his best year as a quarterback. And again, I think we've already hit it on the head here, but this is going to be a, hey, you should have taken me kind of game like you picked wrong. Um, honestly, I'm going to be watching a lot of the young guys on offense. Um, I, I think in particular, I want to continue to see the progression of David Montgomery. Um, obviously, our guy Mooney, um, Darnell Mooney as well. But you know, I am kind of hoping that the Bears do slide in a couple of younger guys as well, um, both on the offense and the defense. Um, again, I, I would love to see some Artavius Pierce, uh, maybe on the defensive side, some Travis Gibson if uh, uh, Vauders is out again another week. Um, just because, one, I, I, I'm under the impression that this season is over and that we're not making the playoffs. And, and even if we beat Houston, I don't know if our odds go very high. Um, but also, you know, you draft a couple of guys, you haven't really played them. I think uh, Kendall Wilder, and I hope probably butchered his name, and Travis Gibson have had 14 snaps uh, as, a, as both of them combined. I would love to see guys like those get some reps just because, again, you, you want to be able to evaluate all your talent. And this is a game where you can play some younger guys against a weaker defense. And, you know, their offense is still pretty strong regardless. But for me, it's going to be evaluating the younger guys at this point. Are there going to be guys that we can see long-term? Again, uh, you said brought up Alex Bars and Sam Mustafir, who I think have both had respectable seasons. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. Um, if the Bears win, that would be great. If they lose, one step closer to Trey Lance, man. Cole Komet, too. See him out there a little bit more. It's nice to see him getting a lot of targets last week. Yeah, forgot about him. But yeah, Cole Komet for sure. Yeah, I, I really think like this game, right? I mean, because the, the thing with the Texans is it's doing so much better ever since uh, Bill O'Brien got fired, which was like back in, I think, uh, week five or six, right? But like you see Deshaun's gone off, dude, without um, Bill O'Brien in the room. But like you look at the Texans, first off, they're ranked like I think 25th or 26th in total defense. And they've been allowing about 27 points a game. So Nagy referenced like in the Monday, right, Nagy referenced in the Monday presser. He's like, oh, well, one of the things that we need to do is eventually have the one game where we are going to have a complete game in all three phases. That means offense, defense, and special teams. And he's just saying that for the sake of saying that because it's too damn late into the season to have any type of game like that. But, you know, maybe this Texans D, right? Maybe this is what this team needs to get clicking these last couple games. I mean, Deshaun's going to do whatever to keep them in the game. But, like, at the end of the day, right, I mean, this is just – at this point, you're just finishing the season out to finish the season out. And then before I let AJ go here, I think to Sam's point, like, yeah, you want to see some of these younger guys play, right? You want to see these guys – like a Vildor or Shelly or even a Travis Gibson, you want to see them step up and play because like guys like Rob Quinn and Buster Screen are not the future of your team at all. I mean, I get Rob Quinn's going to be here in 2021, but beyond that, like you don't have a solution on your roster. And then by the time that the 2021 season does end, you are going to have two years of Travis Gibson's contract left on the books to go ahead and, um, you know, you're going to have to use him in some capacity, right? So maybe come 2022, right, we see a tandem of Khalil Mack, if Mack is still here, and then Travis Gibson as your outside linebackers. Because at that point, whatever regime is here, there's certainly no point in them investing in pass rushers because there's going to be bigger needs that they're going to have to fill out on both sides of the ball. 
Yeah, you guys um, hit it on the nail pretty well. I mean, Sam, I mean, you know, I was at the draft party in 2017 where, you know, <laughs> taking Trubisky, I think, you know, we heard a lot of booze that day. And I was just just done, just dead inside, dude. Like, we picked a guy that had 13 starts over a guy that won a natty in college at one of the best college football programs in, in the world, or probably in the country, sorry. But – to move on into this Texans game, you know, I really hope Deshaun Watson lights up our defense, and I really hope it seals a fate for Ryan Pace, too. I mean, like, I, I also did tweet out last night that Ryan Pace, and I will get crucified for this when I say this on a podcast, that he should be a candidate for this chief executive officer position. Now I'm going to take that back because – not only what he's going to do as a chief executive officer of this team, he's going to keep on meddling in with the new GM and the head coach, like what Ted Phillips did. Or, well, I guess like more of an innocent bystander, but like had more of a football, like football saying things. But Deshaun Watson is coming to town on Sunday. And if this guy throws five touchdowns, guys, like I think the Bears changed history and actually fired these two. As, as furious we were in 2017, not drafting this dude, if he come like Patrick Mahomes already did it, and Luke and Austin went to that game. I actually sold my ticket to that game, if you, if, if I remember correctly. I didn't I didn't want to go see that three point pathetic performance by the Chicago Bears. I think what was the final score? 28 to three. It was bad. Yeah, it was bad. but and then gonna go watch this guy this Sunday with no fans. Thank God for COVID in a good way, right? This guy is going to go out and throw three or four touchdowns. We're going to be behind in the game all game. Because if you give Deshaun Watson, like, short field, the guy will score. He, he, he has this mentality. He's like, if I can't get seven, let me go get three. And that's what you want in a winning QB every time. That's, Russell Wilson holds that, holds that skill. Um, Patrick Mahomes holds that skill, you know. Like, but for some reason – Mitch Trubisky doesn't hold that skill. He doesn't hold any fucking skill. And it's just driving me crazy. We took this guy and and our GM said that his ability to scan the field stands out. His ability of throwing the ball accurately stands out. For Christ's sakes, when they picked him, they showed an inaccurate tape for five minutes of the ball going out out of bounds, dude. Like, where did you see the the inaccurate... all right, I'm done. I'm done. Hurricane AJ, yes. <laughs> yeah, this is I one thing a... we were. This is one thing we were looking forward to is AJ was supposed to rant last week after what was supposedly rock bottom against Green Bay, but obviously, like you know, I, I swear to it, I think I saw a statistic where the Bears were up at one point in the series against Green Bay, like eighty-one to fifty-seven or something, right? And now you look at they've totally flipped the script, like. 40-something meetings later, I'm pretty sure. But, yeah, it's just like, dude, they, I don't I don't know what to say at this point, right? And before we kind of get into wrapping up here, Luke, I'll let you make your last point, and then we'll get into our score predictions. Yeah, so my last point is, is going off what AJ was just saying, and it's mostly that I want to call out one guy, and it's Mitch Trubisky, man. Show some damn pride this week. You were taken before this Watson guy. You know, that wasn't your fault, okay? You were still picked ahead of him. The expectations for you were huge. Share some damn pride and battle it out with him. How about you go out there and have that career performance where you say, I'm, you know, screw this. I'm sick of being called this, that, and the other. I want to do something. So I want to I see it this week. Now's the chance. You versus, you versus the guy that we, uh, the guy we should have taken instead of you. Share some damn pride. For 58 minutes, but lose at the end. Lose <laughs> 33 to 30. Well, I just want to see my a good battle. That's my final point. This game could have huge draft implications. The Texans sitting, what are they? They have four wins right now, playing better. So they could tie the Bears this week with five wins each and maybe have the tiebreaker because they beat us. So who knows? Mitch is uh, is you and Deshaun Watson is the guy she told you not to worry about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Honestly, Mitch is too nice of a guy. I want to see someone like, I don't know, smack him upside the head and, and get him angry. I don't know what it takes to get that guy pissed off, but he's too nice. I want to see mobile Mitch, man. Just start running again. Like, at least make it fun. Like, you have run. nothing to lose. Just run. Go. Yeah. 
yeah, he's hesitant to run to run because of his stupid shoulder injury, you know, which he's injured like every single year, pretty much, except for his rookie season at this point. So you know it's a lingering shoulder injury, and you know it's going to be a factor when teams are talking to him in free agency. Is what's up with your shoulder, right? But which is probably going to have an impact on how much money they give him. And then the comp pick that the bears get for him in 2022, I think, but like, you know, Sam, we'll start with you on what are y'all score predictions for this one? So I, I think one thing I will give the bears credit for is, is yes, they've played two weaker defenses. Um, the offense does look a little bit better, particularly the run game. I've really enjoyed watching David Montgomery this past two weeks. Uh, and I think he had a great game against the lions. So I think it's going to be actually a higher-scoring game. I, would def- I don't know what the over/under is for this game. I haven't even looked yet, but um, because it's only Tuesday, so I don't even know if the lo- those lines are out. So that being said, I have a Texans thirty, Bears twenty-three. I think we're going to have at least an, an interesting game. Uh, not a game that I think the Bears are going to win, but I think it's going to be much a much higher score game than anticipated. Yeah, I'm going to go with before we let AJ and Luke go here. I'm going to go with. Texans 27, Bears 24, and some way, somehow, whoever the kicker for Houston is, I think it's Fairman, right? He's going to have a last-second field goal because Deshaun Watson's going to have his heroics, and I think that at that point in the game, man, it's just going to be, the defense is just going to be too damn gassed from the bruising that they're going to take, the battering and bruising that they're going to have to undergo, per se, because the offense is not going to wake up to, like, later on in the game. Yeah. So I looked at the numbers, betting numbers, um, from my standpoint, from the betters out there. Uh, Texans are favored for a point and a half, money line 118. They are favored in this game over under 44 and a half. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take this over in this game. Score prediction, give me the Houston Texans 35 to 21. Um, I really think that the Bears, the Bears defense is just like, this, 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 they're going to, like, if, if Deshaun Watson just goes down the field the first drive and just spears them, the defense is just going to be like, all right, man, like, we're not, we're not going to do this anymore. And then the offense is, the offense is just going to be the Bears' offense. I mean, talk about, you know, Trubisky and all that. I mean, I don't think Trubisky has what it takes to go up against Deshaun Watson. Not this season. Maybe last season because that's, Deshaun Watson, but Deshaun Watson is playing out of his mind this year, like ever since Bill Bryant, uh, Bill O'Brien has been fired. So I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not giving the Bears a chance this one. Yeah, I uh, hate to say it, but I'm with all you guys. I think Texans are going to win. I'm going to go 27-24 Texans. Um, I think, like, I think as you said, said it. Uh, there's going to be some Deshaun Watson heroic somewhere in there, and it'll probably come down to a field goal. I, I think it'll be very close. I think both teams are. Honestly, not very good. I think the Texans are literally a one-man show right now with Sean Watson, and I don't even know what to call the Bears, just the circus act, but 27-24 Texans. Yeah, they're not even a freaking circus act, dude. They're literally worse than a goddamn circus. But anyways, guys, well, thanks. I, it's weird because, like, they scored so many points last week, so, like, they showed signs of hope, but then, I, I don't know. It's a circus. Like, but, but then, like, the last point I like when, before we close out here, you, you, you talk about all this stuff, and like, it's just, it, it could be close, but, but like, I, I, I don't know, man. That, that defense, man, you saw JJ Watt bring back that, like, deflected pass for a pick six. I don't know, man. I think we see, like, a, a pick six that Mitch gives them, man. Like, that's where the, that's where the, um, differentiating game would be. But, like, I think <laughs> that man, would be, that would be Mitch's first pick six in his career. Yeah. And I don't know, man. At least you can put that on his resume. Yeah. I mean, like, these teams are just going to be like, you know, I mean, how your shoulders checking out. I mean, I don't think, like, call me crazy, guys, and all the truders out there. I don't think any team is going to be like, all right, Mitch, we're going to give you $22 million. Go out there and go play. I, mean, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to really send their doctors and actually check out his shoulder and see if it's okay. It's gonna actually going to be a prolonged situation than we all think. I don't think he's going to be signed in March next year. I think he's going to take a year off if he gets if he if he leaves Chicago. Yeah, I don't even know what's going to happen. We'll get to that in a couple weeks here when we start getting into the offseason. But anyways, guys, thanks for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Usaid Kosho. Follow AJ and Sam on Twitter at AJDesai4 and at SJSteve9. And then be sure you're following Luke as well. He's always got some great Bears analysis. He's a 
big Mets fan too. Me and AJ are honorary Mets fans now. Uh, I'm pretty sure Luke's going to get like an Uncle Steve t-shirt or something. I have no idea, but follow him on Twitter at LBarry underscore 40. And then follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, guys, at Barely underscore pod. We will catch you guys next week after hopefully the Bears win on Sunday, but uh, we're not holding any hope out. So we'll catch y'all later. Peace out, guys.